turn to Romans chapter 14 this morning. Romans 14. This morning we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus our Savior. And the only reason we come to worship each Sunday and why we will worship for all of eternity is because our deliverance has been paid for by Christ, the Lamb of God. He has come to take away the sin of the world, as the kids just sang, that He came uh, to die for our sins. And as you may or may not know, my pattern of preaching is to preach consecutively through a book of the Bible, unfolding its truth one week at a time. And so this morning we want to continue our study in the book of Romans. And the message of this book as a whole is the gospel of Christ. And we have seen this gospel that it was what made possible or or why... Jesus came. The gospel is good news because Jesus came and He died and He raised. He was raised from the dead. And it's the same gospel that frees us from present and eternal condemnation. It's the gospel that changes us from sinners who are opposed to God to sinners who are complicit with God, working to eradicate sin from our lives. And that is what the gospel does. It, it helps us first to understand who we are in light of who God is, it helps us to submit to Him. And then it, it, it causes us to change. All who have been changed, who, who have been saved by the Gospel will be changed by the Gospel. And so this Gospel means that we will, as Christians, live our lives offering them to God as living, living sacrifices. In short, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is something that changes us. It's not something that we just think about once a year and then it goes away from our minds and so on. The resurrection of Christ changes our lives. And, and these lives are meant not to be lived in isolation, but rather God has called all Christians to live in unity within the context of a local church. And one of the great beauties of the local church is that it brings people together who are otherwise diverse but we come together around one common bond, one common unity, and that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this unity within this church is established by the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is that Satan wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the church as a whole. He wants to destroy this church. And sometimes Satan destroys the church by threats from outside of the church. But I think some of his best work is done by creating division within the church. And what's more, if he can convince believers that that their stand, which is actually causing the division, is a stand for the cause of good. And if, if Satan can convince believers that what they're doing is actually good when it's really creating creating division, then he has even greater success. And so what Paul is going to help us to see this morning is that the strong believers need to recognize that, that, that they cannot stand in judgment over weak believers and weak believers cannot despise strong believers. That, that although a person is freed from the Mosaic Law and its ceremonial regulations, there are some people who believe they're still under it. At least in Paul's day, that was the case. 
And, and this is important because this is a, a major transitional point in history that is at the time of Paul's writing. Right? They're moving from a system that for 2,000 years was the system of following God. That they were supposed to offer sacrifices and go to the temple and, and, and go through a priest. And now Jesus comes. He, he dies and He's raised from the dead. And now it's like all of those Jewish regulations, you can set those aside. Is what Jesus said. You no longer have to eat a certain kind of food. You no longer have to go to the temple. Now you come and, and you worship Christ in the church. And this new, new institution is established. And so while Paul's writing, this is fairly new for, for many believers. And so although they're genuine believers, they're still try, kind of uh, stuck in the middle, pulled in two directions. This old Jewish regulation, the Mosaic Law, and this new way of, of freedom in Christ. And so you can imagine that within the church at that time, there were divisions over what was appropriate, what was supposed to be done. Paul has already talked uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that Paul's talked about our, one of the expressions of our faith is showing love to one another in chapter 12, verses 9 to 16, and chapter 13, verses 8 to 10. And that we must recognize that the time is now to serve Christ. That's what we saw last week. The time is now to eradicate sin. There's not going to be time in the next life. Our, our opportunity to, to turn away from sin is now. And, and so we need to love believers now. Certainly we'll be loving believers in the next life, but, but our responsibility in this life is to love our fellow believers. And one of the ways that we express that is by, by, um, by living godly lives despite having clear and and convictional differences. That is, you may have a difference in view of how you should carry out a certain activity. And I may have a different view. But yet we need to live together and, and show love to one another and deference. We need to honor one another in love. And, and I would suggest to you that a church that is shaped by grace will show brotherly love by living in harmony despite clear and disputed differences. That if we are going to be about this task of love, that we will still be able to live in harmony even though we have differences. And so I think that's what this text is about this morning. Let me read it for you uh, beginning in verse 1, Romans chapter 14. This is the Word of God. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One, purpose, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives... We die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, 
we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, judgment seat of God. Excuse me. For it is written, "As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God." So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Here we see that we must avoid mutual condemnation, because God alone is our judge. We must avoid mutual condemnation because God alone is our judge. Here we're talking about harmony within the body of Christ despite clear differences. For them it was eating or observances of days. And for us it might be something different. But but in chapter fourteen, chapters 14 and 15, Paul describes a conflict that has arisen in the church between two types of believers. That is the weak believer. Do you see that in verse 1? Now accept the one who is weak in faith. Okay, so he actually is a believer, but he's weak in, in his understanding. But notice chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong. So he's saying there's some kind of a division here between the strong and the weak. And there are several if issues that divide them. But the first issue is illustrated in verse 2. And it is this, that the strong believer recognizes that God has given no prohibition against eating meat. In other words, God has allowed people to eat meat. Verse 2 says, one person has faith, faith that he may eat all things, that, that it's okay by God for him to eat meat. The weak believer, on the other hand, notice that the second part of verse 2, thinks that he should eat vegetables only. Now, why would this be a problem? Because we have people in our day who are vegetarians or vegans, and, and so is that what Paul is talking about? No, that's not what Paul is talking about. See, in their day, it was, it was similar but different. In their day, there was a Roman secular culture in which they lived that was filled with paganism. And it included all sorts of perverse idolatry from which many people had been saved out of or or Jews who had, had seen that kind of practice and hated it. And one of the regular practices of those pagan religions was to offer meat to their pagan gods. And so they would take an animal and sacrifice it and, and give this meat or offer this meat to the god. And then after they would sacrifice it or offer it to that false god, then they would take it to the marketplace and sell it. And, and so as, as a result, some believers were in the process of buying that meat from the marketplace, which had already been offered to idols. So instead of buying meat or eating meat at all, they would just say, we're just going to refrain completely. Because God wouldn't want us to do that. God wouldn't want us to eat meat that was offered to a false god. And you can imagine why this was so important to so many believers because some of them likely would have been saved out of that kind of idolatry and they wanted to stay as far away from that kind of practice as possible. And so they established personal boundaries which they would not cross. I am not going to eat meat that, that's been defiled and it's something that dishonors God. Perhaps you have come from a background where maybe you are a child of an alcoholic, and you've seen all the dangers and the tragedies that come from alcoholism. And, and so as a result, you have set a personal standard for yourself that I will not drink alcohol. You, you, you establish a personal conviction because you've seen the dangers of it. 
And that's what these believers are doing. They're saying, we see the dangers of eating meat that's offered to idols because it's all paganism. In this case, the believer in Rome wanted nothing to do with eating meat. And so we have two kinds of people here within the same body of believers. We have believers who are convinced that eating meat is permissible by God. And we have believers who think that eating meat is not permissible by God. And so what are these believers to do? Are they supposed to come together and have a council and talk about which one is right and convince the other one of what the right position is? Are they supposed to hold a public debate to discuss the matter? Well, Paul tells us. The answer comes in verse 1. He says, Accept the one who is weak in faith. Accept the one who is weak in faith. Now, accept here doesn't mean tolerate. Okay, just just get along with them even if you have differences. Instead, it means to welcome them like a brother. That's what it means to accept, to welcome. In fact, some of the other translations have that word, welcome them. Welcome one another. Welcome the one who's weak in faith. It's the same Greek word, the root, Greek root that's used in Acts 28.2 to describe the people on Malta. Remember when Paul was shipwrecked and he ended up with a bunch of other sailors having to swim to shore to this island. And, and what happens? The, the shipwrecked crew land on the island, and you know what the people of Malta did? They accepted them by offering them a fire and, and food and, and, and some warm clothing. It says they kindled a fire and accepted us all. They welcomed them. It wasn't that they tolerated them. Well, you know, you can use our island. We, it's kind of a tr- little bit of a trouble for us, but, but here you can use it. No, they welcomed them with open arms. They treated them as if... It was family being shipwrecked. shipwrecked. So that's what Paul's saying here. It's not that, that we need to just, you know, you have a differing conviction, I'll put up with you. I'll, I'll sprinkle a little toleration with my despising of you. You are despicable to me, but I'll, I'll tolerate you. That's not what Paul's calling us to do. Instead he's saying, treat them like a brother or sister. Welcome them in the faith. The opposite of which is... It's described in the second part of verse 1, not for the purpose of passing judgment on their opinions or on the disputable matters. You see, when we pass judgment on fellow members, we naturally are bringing in division. We're bringing in disharmony to what God wants to unite. Now, I'm going to make it clear at the end, but I'll, I'll just say it now, that, that these who are weak in faith were not the Judaizers. Okay, If you remember from our study in Galatians, a couple of years ago, the Judaizers thought that you needed to follow certain regulations in order to be saved. That if you followed the Mosaic Law, then you would be saved. That's not who Paul's talking about in this passage. These are people who think that, that God will be pleased in their Christian lives not to offer them salvation. He's not going to save them by doing these things, but, but rather that the way that God is pleased is by them following these rules, particularly this food law. And so what we need to be clear about is that our acceptance of one another is not acceptance of heresy. Okay, So we need to draw the line somewhere, right? When it comes to disputable matters, when it comes to opinions, convictions, things that are not clear in the Scriptures, then, then we must welcome that person. But when it comes to heresy, we don't welcome them. right? We reject them. We, we rebuke them. That's what the Scriptures call us to do. So, so I want to be clear that that what we're talking about are, are 
opinions or disputable matters, eating meat, not eating meat. Here's another example in verse 5 we're going to come to in a minute. Making a day sacred versus making all days common. Right? They would say, well, the Sabbath day, that, that's a day that we have to set apart and this is, this is something that we have to treat as sacred and, and all these Jewish festival days. And, and Paul's saying, no, the, all the days are alike. We know that, that God has not made one day better than another. Um, we, we, we can treat all days alike in that sense. And so um, these are... These are examples of opinions or disputable matters. So let's look at the main command negatively stated. We first saw it positively stated. That is, accept one another, welcome them as you would a brother or sister. Negatively stated is found in verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. So he's saying, you who have the permissive idea or the, the will, you recognize that it's okay to eat meat, don't. Don't regard them with contempt. Don't despise them. And, and, and likewise, you who are weak, you the ones who don't eat meat, you don't judge the other person saying, how terrible of you, right? I mean, how could you defy God by eating meat? Each believer, no matter where he falls on the issue of eating meat, has a temptation to either despise the one or to judge the other. Strong believer recognizes that God has given liberty to eat meat. Remember, Jesus said, It's not what goes into the body that makes a person unclean, but it's what comes out of the heart. It's 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 the lust and the and the uh, the hatred and, and the evil thoughts that, that comes out of the inner part of our person. That's what makes us corrupt. It's not what we eat. And what Mark's gospel said is that there Jesus was making all foods clean. That there's not you don't have to uh, you know, stop eating uh, pork or whatever. It's it's time to to eat meat is what Jesus was saying. And and so the strong here in this case might look condescendingly down on the people who have personal personal convictions against it and say, you know, I've arrived spiritually. You know, I'm not a vegetarian. I I think you think that it's a mark of holiness to be a vegetarian, but I know that God allows me to eat meat, so I'm going to eat it. And so he despises him and maybe even mocks him as he does it. You know, like, ha, I get to eat this and I don't feel bad about it. I feel like I'm serving the Lord. And the weak believer sitting there thinking, this cannot be something that God would accept. On the other side, the weak believer, at the second part of verse 3, stands in judgment of the meat eater, right? He says those meat eaters think that they're living holily when in fact they're eating meat that's sacrificed to idols that God would hate. So you, you see how you have two differing views that, that are both based on real convictions. And what Paul does here is amazing. He doesn't say, let me convince you of the right view. He's going to say later, I know that what you're doing is right. We know that. That is the, the meat eaters. You, you're actually on the right side. But that's not the point. You don't need to convince them. Instead, what you need to do is welcome them. Don't Condemn them. Don't despise them. Talking to the strong. And then for the weak, don't judge those who do eat meat. And the reason that believers like you and me should accept one another is because, look at the very end of verse 3, God has accepted them. This gives us a hint of why why 
It should not, we should not condemn other people for their personal convictions over disputable matters. That is that God has accepted them. If God's accepted them, then why are we judging them? Why are we condemning them? And this is going to be expounded here in the, the next six verses. So let's look at that. That God alone is our judge. We must avoid mutual condemnation. That is condemning one another or despising them because God alone is our judge. It is not our job to judge our brother. Verse 4. It's not our job. Notice verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. For the Lord is able to make him stand. The fact is that at the end of verse 3, God has accepted this brother. And so now this is being expounded in verses 4 through 9. God is the one before whom we all will stand. He's the one that we ultimately need to please. If, while we're here on this earth and, and in this church, are, are passing judgment upon our brother over a matter of conviction or opinion, then we are actually taking the place of God. We are judging their motives effectively. And, and what Paul says is, Who are you? It is not your job to judge your brother. It is not your job to condemn your brother. That's God's job. Every one of us belongs to our Master, and each one of us will answer to our Master. And so my evaluation of you and your evaluation of me doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. It's God's evaluation that matters most. And the fact is that that both the strong and the weak will be able to stand on the Day of Judgment. That is, not be condemned. Because God has made them to stand. Do you see that at the end of verse 4? So what we're talking about here are not issues that are central to the message of the gospel. Okay, it's not that you know I I reject the idea that the Lord is coming again, and you believe that the Lord is coming again, and you say, well, we have to just agree to disagree. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is messages that are not central to the gospel. If I reject the fact that the Lord is coming in, then I'm rejecting the very clear expression of what's going to happen in the scriptures. Right? And what Paul says, if anyone preaches to you another gospel, even if it's me or an angel from heaven, then let him be accursed, Galatians 1. And so, so we don't just kind of oh, agree to disagree on, on major doctrinal issues. What we're talking about is convictions, things that are not central to salvation. It's not our job to judge our brother. Number two, our personal convictions must be done for the Lord in verses 5 and 6. So if we're all going to stand before the Lord, then, then we need to recognize that, that my personal conviction is important. I can't just believe whatever I want to believe. I need to believe something that, that I see to be right. And before we look at our responsibility to answer to God, in verses 7-9, through 9, Paul gives us another example here. And that is one of observing of days. If it's true that we can't judge each other for personal convictions on disputable matters, then we might come to the conclusion that we can believe whatever we want. But that's not the point. The point is is that God is our judge, and everything we do must be done for God's glory. And so here he gives an example for us, the evaluation of days. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. So apparently the weak thought that the Sabbath... Saturday, or these Jewish festival festival days were more important than other days. But the strong are the ones who believe that every day is the same. That we all need to be living in worship to God every day. 
And what Paul's saying here is the, the point is not what you believe, but notice the end of the verse. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. The point is not what you believe about these disputable matters, but why you believe it. Are you convinced about it in your mind? And so the driving principle here is that we must not go against our conscience. We must not live opposed to our conscience. We, we must be fully convinced in our own mind. Let me show you this again in verse 14, the text from next time. Verse 14, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul's saying, I'm, I'm living on the basis of my own conviction. Verse 16, Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. In other words, if you recognize it as good, then don't let someone else say that it's evil. Verse 22, the faith which you have, the conviction which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith or conviction. And whatever is not from faith or conviction is sin. So here's the driving principle behind what Paul's saying with regard to our welcoming one another. Our consciences matter. How we respond to our conscience is critical. We cannot defy or disobey our conscience. And so, if we have determined in our minds, we've made a conviction that something, some practice is opposed to God, even if we're mistaken, we must not participate in it. Now, this does not mean that we should be godlessly relativistic in our thinking. You know, whatever you think is fine, let's agree to disagree idea that, that's very prevalent in our culture. What we're talking about here are disputable matters. Matters where the Scriptures are not explicit. And so if, if you have come up with a conviction in your mind of what is right, then don't go against that. Because to go against it, verse 23 again, whatever is not from faith is what? It's sin. So if you go against your personal conviction on a matter, it's sin. So have convictions, stand by those convictions, and, and, and then live by them. Don't go against them. Ultimately, everything must be done for the Lord. Verse 6. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat, for the Lord. So he's saying, listen, no matter where you fall on these issues, the main idea, the main thing is that you must be doing it for the Lord. The main thing is not what you do with your mouth or how you treat a certain day. Those are those are disputable issues. Those are issues to which we can degree, uh, disagree to an extent. But the main point is whether or not you're doing it for the Lord. And the believer is one who's doing everything that he does for the glory of the Lord. And so if you eat meat, Paul's saying to these believers, and your conscience is not bothered by it. If you have a conviction that it's okay to eat meat, then you know what you can do when you eat that meat? You can actually thank God when you do it. And in the end, your motive is good. But if you can't eat meat because your conscience says that would be a violation of what God wants, then still you can thank God when you eat those vegetables and you will be doing it with the right motive. The fact is that all believers belong to the Lord. All believers belong to the Lord. 
in all disputable matters, things not essential to the gospel, we must recognize this key underlying principle. We don't live for ourselves. Look at verse 8. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. The main point here is that, that we need to be living all of our convictions out for the purpose of the Lord. We're all dependent on Him. And, and so that's who's going to judge us in the end. God is the one who's going to judge our motives and whether or not we chose the right side of those convictions. We live and die for the Lord. We're owned by the Lord. And then in verse 9, Christ's death and resurrection have resulted in His Lordship over us. That is, that He is now our Master. Look at verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord or Master, both of the Lord, uh, both, both of the dead and the living. The reason that Christ saved us was so that He could be our Master. Not just so that He could uh, deliver us from an eternal hell. That's part of it. But, but Christ li- delivered us so that we would now obey Him, that we would be servants of Him. And so He owns us. He has authority over us. And our responsibility as believers is to live for His glory. Let God be the judge. And every man responsible for his own personal convictions, whether eating meat or not eating meat, observing a day or not, but, but the main thing is we all live for God. God alone is judge, and it is not our job to judge our brother. Each person must be certain in their own minds that what they are doing is honoring God, and all of us belong to the Lord. Paul finishes with a reminder here of what he's already said, which is that we will all be judged by the Lord. He gives a summary condemnation here in verse 10 for those who are judging other brothers. But you, why do you judge your brothers? You strong, why are you judging the weak? Or or you weak, why are you judging the strong? And then you strong, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all be judged by the Lord, so don't judge your brother in, in regard to disputable matters. We have a responsibility to judge one another in indisputable matters, right? Do you understand the difference? And the reason we don't judge them with regard to disputable matters is because God has accepted your brother. God has accepted you. To his own master he stands and falls, verse 4. And he will stand for the Lord will make him stand, verse 4. We will all give an account for the convictions that we hold. We do not answer to our fellow believers. When we stand on judgment days, our, our fellow believers not going to stand up there and say, well, they did this with the wrong motives. They don't know our motives. We're going to stand before God. And, and the same thing is true about them. When they stand before God, they're going to answer to God for their motives and their actions. And so we believers will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our, good, our deeds, whether they're good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. And the Old Testament confirms it. Verse 11, For it is written, this is a quotation from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 45, 23, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So if we're all going to stand before God at judgment, as predicted in the Old Testament, and as made clear through Paul, then, verse 12, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So we need to let God be God. Let God be the judge. And make sure that we individually are ready for that day. So 
I know it's a kind of a difficult topic, something to, to, to dive into here on a on an Easter morning. But but uh, let me give you three principles, and then five implications. Number one. Every believer has God as his master. God is Lord of every believer. Number two, every believer will stand before God as judge. Every believer has God as master. Every believer has God as judge. Number three, every believer must live their lives for the purpose of honoring Christ. Each of us are owned by the Lord. He is our master. Each of us will give an account to the Lord. He is our judge. And therefore, all of our lives must be lived to honor Him. No matter what kind of convictions we have, we need to to make sure that we're doing it for the Lord. That's what verse 4 is about. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 6. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord. So you can give thanks no matter what your conviction is. Whether you eat meat or don't eat meat, you can still give thanks because you're doing it uh, based on what your conscience, uh, your conviction is. All right, five implications. Number one, if I believe that something dishonors Christ, I must not do it. Okay, very simply, I cannot go against my conscience. Where the scriptures don't speak, then, believer, let your conscience be your guide. And don't ever go against your conscience. It is a dangerous thing. It is good to have convictions. It's good to be sure about what you're doing and, and to have a scriptural reason why you're doing it. It's good to have strong convictions. And obviously it's good to have biblically based convictions. We'll get there in the next couple of weeks. But but because sometimes you might think, well, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm not even going to think anymore about my convictions. But what we're going to talk about here is that that actually we need to keep making sure that our convictions are being informed by what the Word says because that's the ultimate guide. Okay, So don't don't make your conscience your ultimate guide. Make the Scripture your ultimate guide and then where the Scripture doesn't speak explicitly, right? like for them, eating of meat, eating of meat or not eating of meat, then, then they needed to follow their conscience and we need to do the same. Implication number two, if another Christian believes that something dishonors Christ, I must not force him to do it. Okay, so I think something honors Christ and I'm going to do it. But if another believer thinks it dishonors Christ, my job is not to say, you need to get, get it straight. You need to have my conviction. That's not our job. Paul never commands us to have a public debate and see who's right. He says, welcome them. Don't judge them. Don't despise them. And don't force them to do something against their own conscience. Do you see the problem there? When we start going against our conscience, it is a dangerous thing. Because the conscience is one of the tools that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us. And if we start disobeying our conscience regularly, we will find ourselves way off the path of where God wants us to go. Number three, um, my overriding concern must not be to get everyone to agree on debatable issues, but rather that every person is living for Christ. Friends, this is what it looks like to live and glorify God within the body of believers, within a church. It is to welcome one another in Christ with open arms, even though, amazingly, they have a different 
conviction than you do on a specific subject. And so I would say to you with regard to your conscience that ignorant obedience to your conscience is better than knowledgeable defiance. Ignorant obedience to your conscience is better than knowledgeable defiance. What I'm saying there is that it would be better to be uninformed. Like I I didn't know that it was okay to eat meat. It better be uninformed and yet still obey our conscience than it is to be informed. I know what is right and now I'm going to reject it. The point is on both sides, we cannot go against our conscience. We can't force other people to do it. The main thing is we need to be able to do everything that we do and be able to give thanks to God. So is there something that someone's pressuring you to do and you you don't think it's right? Don't do it. Because in the end, you're not going to be able to give thanks to the Lord. Do you know why? Because everything that's not done in faith is sin. So follow your conscience when the Scripture doesn't speak clearly. Number four. This does not mean that we should have tolerance over heresy. We don't welcome people who are speaking heresy. Right? For example, the practice of homosexuality. It's not a disputable matter. The scriptures are clear that it's a violation of God's will. Revelation says that anyone who practices homosexually regularly will spend an eternity in hell. The scriptures don't mince words there, right? Don't say, well, you know, you can believe what you want to believe and... And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of say what we want to believe. No, the Scriptures are clear. And so when it comes to heresy, we, we don't just simply ignore it or say, well, as long as you can do it for the Lord. They can't do that for the Lord. That's a clear violation of Scripture, do you see? And so if someone said that they were convinced that they could be saved because of their baptism, right? If I'm baptism, then God will save me. It's called baptismal regeneration. Well, that's heresy. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. We are justified by faith in Christ alone. Our baptism does not save us. And so there's no room for tolerance over heresy. Finally, and this is hopefully something we'll be able to explore in the next couple of um, studies, and that is that we we cannot settle with where our consciences consciences are right now. Okay, so, so don't main principle, don't go against Scripture, right? But then secondly, don't go against your conscience. But here, thirdly, don't allow your conscience to just uh, accept all of your previously held ideas of what is right and what is wrong. In other words, allow the Word, this is Romans 12 too, allow the Word to, to renew your mind, right? Allow yourself to be washed by the water of the Word so that it's continually changing your thoughts about your convictions. Convictions that you once had you should be changing, though. You should be learning from what the Scriptures and how to apply them. So, so what I would suggest to you is constantly refine your conscience by bathing it in the Scriptures and see how it does apply to your current situation. A church that is shaped by grace will show brotherly love by living in harmony despite disputed differences. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of your word thankful that that we can do everything that we do for your glory even when we are mistaken on a matter that's not clear from the scripture we can still do it for your glory because uh, we have the proper motives behind it 
And then, Lord, in time, you may uh, reveal to us something that was not clear to us before, and those convictions can change, and then we can actually do that for your glory as well. Lord, I pray that we would not come away from here thinking that convictions are not important, but that we would see that our consciences are critical to how we live. And Lord, we don't ever want to get to a place where we sear our conscience or deny it or um, disobey our conscience so much that that when the Spirit actually does speak to us, we are so good at at ignoring it that, that the sound of alarm that comes from the Spirit is softened and weakened to the point where we can't even hear you speak. And Lord, we want to hear you speak. We cannot live by bread alone, but only by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we pray that we would not harm this tool that you have given to us. And Lord, we pray that we would be able to live in harmony with one another despite convictional differences. Help us not to lord our convictions over other people. Help us not to force our convictions down their throat. Help us not to judge one another or despise them for having a different conviction. And Lord, help us to do everything that we do for your glory. You will stand as our judge, and so we will answer to you. May we not do anything uh, that's not done in faith, because everything that's not done in faith is sin. Lord, help us in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.